If you're trying to achieve a specific goal, many people will say think positive, be optimistic, and focus on what you want to achieve. But the research shows something very interesting about all this positive thinking. Hey, it's Dustin, and you're listening to The Burleson Box. We'll be back in a moment to talk with Gabrielle Ettingen about her book, Rethinking Positive Thinking. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Dr. Burleson here. Many of my most successful clients find themselves looking for a way to preserve and grow their wealth without the uncertainty and volatility of Wall Street. There is another way. My good friend and colleague, Dr. David Phelps, helps practice professionals translate their high income into a high net worth. He does this by connecting members with highly curated, passive real estate deals through his Freedom Founders community. Real estate can hedge your portfolio against inflation, all while providing passive monthly income. This secures your wealth and creates meaningful freedom in your life today, not some vague retirement date in the distant future. Some of my top clients have benefited from David's support and the Freedom Founders community. David has put together some special resources for my listeners. To access, just text Dustin to 972-203-6960 or go to freedomfounders.com forward slash Burleson. Dr. Ettingen is a professor of psychology at New York University and University of Hamburg. She's one of the world's most respected motivation scientists. Her research focuses on prospection, which is how people think about the future. In her studies, she addresses how different types of prospection affect people's thoughts, beliefs, emotions, and behavior. She's pointed out the perils of positive thinking and discovered a motivation technique called mental contrasting. Today, we'll discuss her latest book, Rethinking Positive Thinking, on another episode of The Burleson Box. Dr. Ettingen, thank you so much for being on the program. I love your research. I love your book. We're talking today about rethinking positive thinking. I'm going to go back to the, um, the beginning where this research started because it's, it's counterintuitive, isn't it, how we set goals and achieve them? Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you for having me, um, and thank you for your kind words. Um, it is counterintuitive because we probably all have heard in our childhood and um, when we were young um, that thinking positive is the recipe for uh, well-being and um, for success. Um, but um, when you think about thinking about the future um, and positive thinking about the future, you need to be a little bit careful um, if you... Um, think for what it is good. So positive thinking about the future is really good for um, heightening your present mood at the moment. It's also good to explore all the possibilities of the future. But when it comes to actually implementing these possibilities of the future, then positive thinking and dreaming and wishing is simply not enough. No, it is even a hindrance. I want to kind of explore your background because you, you, you are a professor both at New York University and at the University of Hamburg. 
And I think if you go back to the 1990s when you were doing this groundbreaking research, it, it was really the common thought in America, at least, that if you just think positive thoughts, you will manifest these great things into your life. Talk about maybe compare and contrast your background, where you came from and, and how you teach and kind of how that kind of created this idea for your research. Oh, if I talk about my background, it goes um, far in the past and being raised in um, Germany um, after the Second World War, um, certainly um, things were not as prosperous um, as in the later years. Uh, and I was always interested in the question of resilience and the question of hope and what hope does in order um, to keep people going. And that's where all this research started. Um, I was interested um, in what hope does to behavior change. Originally, I come from, from biology, um, and then I switched to psychology. But, um, I will, was always interested in why people do what they do and, um, and the role of positive thinking about the future. How does this affect our behavior change and our resilience? Can you share a little bit about what you saw post-Second World War in Germany and, and how that maybe um, served as a foundation for this, this research that, we're, that we now take for granted that you did was really controversial when you published it, right? Yeah. I mean, um, post-Second World War in Germany, um, people uh, had to live through very difficult times and um, they had to hope for um, a better future. And, um, and then certainly, um, you know, people needed to get through these, um, you know, scarcity, if you want. Um, and um, the role of positive thinking um, is complex, if you, if you look at that. And I started to um, look at uh, optimism and how optimism um, affects behavior. And um, when I then came to the United States, I discovered that in psychology, um, optimism and hope and um, positive thinking were more or less used interchangeably. And they were used for, um, you know, expecting the future to hold good things and no bad things. Um, and expecting based on what has happened in the past. But I reasoned hope is something else. Hope is where we have positive fantasies and daydreams about the future, um, despite that we have tough times. And despite the fact that maybe the prospects don't look so good when you think about the experiences and the, you know, the, the performances in the past. So that gave me a big puzzle. And then I just, you know, you dive into the data. And, and what we found is um, a little bit counterintuitive. And at the beginning we thought, mm, Maybe we did a mistake, <laughs> um, but then we replicated and replicated. And it looks like, as I said, it's good for the present mood. It's good for exploring all the possibilities, um, but it's, it's a real drawback if you want to get engaged and act. What we found is that the more 
people fantasizing, daydream in positive ways about the future, the less effort they exerted in order to reach the positive future and the less success they had. And that in all different life domains. So for example, the more positively women who had enrolled in a weight reduction program fantasized about their success in the program, the fewer pounds they shed. Three months later, one year later, two years later, or university graduates, the more they fantasized about an easy transition in work life, the fewer dollars they earned two years later, the fewer job offers they had gotten, and importantly, the fewer job applications they had sent out. And take students still in university, the more they fantasized in positive terms about getting a good grade, the worse their grade was. The more they fantasized about getting together with a person they had a crush on, the less likely they were to actually start a relationship with that person. And then also for surgery, the more positively people fantasized about an easy recovery after hip replacement surgery, the less well could they move the joint, the less well they recovered in general as judged by the physical therapist. So it seems as pleasurable as these positive daydreams and fantasies are, they are an impediment for actual effort and for success. You and I were talking offline before we started the program, and I mentioned the the original study that I read in the New York Times, was quoted, and I've quoted that throughout my career on stage speaking to, to many audiences, I think it was back in ni- early 1990s, maybe 1991. Um, I think it's a study you just mentioned on on weight loss. And can you talk about, I mean, that was really, I think, a- amongst your colleagues, that was not exactly well received, was it? <laughs> no, really not. And um, it was super hard to publish as well, um, as you can imagine, because uh, it was just a, a kind of idea that was taken without any thinking that positive thinking is just a good thing and positive thinking about the future is a good thing even when it comes to effort and success and um, so we needed to replicate these findings before we believed it ourselves Um, but then we asked you know what why is that and Also, we asked, is that also true for mental health? And we did studies where we found that indeed these positive fantasies about the future, they're linked to low depression at the moment. But then over time, the depressive effect is heightened. So in the sense that is a consequence of this low effort and success, because it was partly due to the low effort and success. So even in the area of mental health, it's okay for a bandage right now to think just positively in the future. But when it comes to acting, to engaging, then just positively daydreaming in the future is not the right way to actually implementing these positive fantasies in reality. 
when when the listeners take that leap and they start to put some action in place, um, and I want to highlight that you didn't stop with the study in 1991. You replicated study after study. All Some self-reported, some were objectively assessed. They sure. were in young people. They were in old people. It wasn't just weight loss. It was found to be repeated in relationships and jobs in school and in health. And you discovered this, what I would call substantial psychological phenomenon. Can you talk about, so the listener who says, okay, I get it. Positive thinking alone is not going to help me long-term. I have to put some things behind my action. Can you maybe talk a little bit about some pitfalls they might face or maybe people you've worked with who stumble when they try to start changing their mind about this? Yeah, sure. I mean, our question was, why is that? And and then we did experimental studies. And these experimental studies, we induce positive fantasies about the future versus negative fantasies, questioning fantasies, no fantasies, irrelevant thoughts about the future, um, what have you, as a control group in the different studies. And what we found that... In those participants whom we induced positive fantasies and daydreams, they felt accomplished in their mind. And they relaxed. Yeah, they felt they have it already. And then, you know, energy goes down. And you can measure the energy either by systolic blood pressure or you can measure it by just asking people how energy full of energy do you feel? How energetic do you feel with respect to implementing your desired future? And what we found is that they actually relaxed. Um, So they were accomplished. So you could say, okay, now that we kind of realized what the mechanisms are, let's just forget the positive thinking about the future. Let's just think negatively. And that is certainly not the solution. Because we also showed where these positive fantasies and daydreams come from. And they come from our needs. Meaning, they come from what we don't have. So, for example, we invited participants in our lab and we asked them to please don't take any liquid before about four hours beforehand. And then we gave them a lot of salty pretzels so that they were really thirsty. And then half of these participants got super nice, clear water so they could quench their thirst. And half of them stayed thirsty. And then we simply measured the positive fantasies and daydreams about the future. What were they pertaining to? And obviously, the people who were really thirsty were thinking (laughs) about how to get to the next water fountain and how (laughs) wonderful it would be to drink some water. Whereas the other ones, they fantasized about any kind of need they had for the future. So the idea is that where you have a lack, there these wishes and daydreams come from. And you can do that for psychological needs as well. So if you just sort of make people attend to lack of meaning in their life, then they suddenly fantasize about a more meaningful job. If you make them aware of a lack of personal relationships, then they fantasize of getting together with their friends and family. 
So these positive fantasies and daydreams about the future are really important because they signal that we have a certain need. So they're an indication, a reflection of our needs. And therefore, we need to take them really seriously. And we need to take them seriously also because they give action the direction. So they tell us where we want to go. The problem only is that they sap our energy. So then the next question was very clear. How can you complement these positive fantasies and daydreams so that people get the energy to actually go the cumbersome way of reaching them? And that's where we came up with what we call mental contrasting of the positive future with And then we said a healthy dose of reality, meaning a healthy dose of reality in the form of the obstacle in you that stands in the way of reaching these positive fantasies and daydreams. Because once you understand what your obstacle is, you will have the impetus of getting over the obstacle that will give you the energy and it will give you an idea on how to overcome that obstacle. So it has these two advantages. It gives you the energy and it shows you how to get to implement your positive fantasies and daydreams. So this mental contrasting of the future with the obstacle of reality will also show you whether the obstacle is actually surmountable. And if it is surmountable, then you have the energy to actually fully go for it. Love it. Yes, now I know where I want to go. And I go with full force. But if the obstacle is such that you say, mm, it's really at the moment too costly, or it might not be just the right time at the moment, I will probably have more chance if I do it at a later point in time. Or if you say, This obstacle is just too formidable. Um, then you can say, okay, I actively get out of wish fulfillment and I invest my energy, my resources in something which is more promising. So in a way, this mental contrasting of the positive future with the obstacle of reality is a tool to clean up your life, to really go for it what you love and can do, and to also let go from things that are not worth at the end, maybe not so attractive at the end, or are simply not reachable. Then you can adjust your wish or let go altogether and devote yourself to a more promising wish fulfillment. So this mental contrasting is a super practical tool. And we showed then in following experiments, again, in the different life areas, professional and health and interpersonal relationships and self-improvement, um, that this actually works like we predicted. So people really went for wish fulfillment with full force after mental contrasting or if the obstacle felt this is just not feasible for me at the moment, then they either adjusted the wish, postponed it to a better point in time, or let go, and were then free 
for other projects. I want to highlight for the listeners, um, the entire book is brilliant, by the way. So um, thank you for writing it. We get hundreds of books every year from particularly the Harvard Business Review, their press, who want us to interview a lot of their authors. And I always pick books like yours that our listeners can read and reread and reread throughout their lives. And this concept of mental contrasting, particularly in chapter four, really blew my mind um, because it's helped me focus on the right things. And what you say, it prevents us from the danger of being locked in our dreams. And, you know, it transitions you to pursuing those dreams wisely. So for listeners, I just highlight, you know, make sure you read the entire book and really, I think, focus a lot on chapter four. I want to I talk more about mental contrasting. Can you talk about the link between, the, you, you talk about this non-conscious link between wishes and obstacles. I want to get into Whoop, which is a really cool tool for the listeners, but um, maybe talk a little bit about how mental contrasting lets us use more of our mind's latent capacity that we might not be using. Yeah, mental contrasting is a conscious imagery exercise. Um, and as we will um, probably talk a little bit about later when we talk about Whoop, it needs, you know, have five minutes of quiet and calm and slowness um, because you you need to imagine um, what the desired future really is for you. You need to search for the for what is my wish, what is it really that I want, and then um, the next step would be so. What would be the best thing if I fulfilled myself that wish? And then you imagine that desired future. So that's exactly the positive thinking we were talking beforehand. So you really want to get in to these experiences um, in your mind, what you actually imagine the desired future to be. But then um, you switch and you switch to say, okay, what is it in me that holds me back? What, what stops me from tackling my wish and experiencing that outcome? So what is it in me that is, that is the, the, the impediment, the hindrance, the obstacle? And then when you discover that obstacle, you also imagine it. So you search for it and then you imagine the obstacle. And this imagery is really important because that conscious imagery triggers processes that are non-conscious and they are outside of your awareness and they just run off after you do this little exercise. And they're super helpful and practical because they help you to change the behavior. They are mediating the behavior change. And these processes, they are cognitive, non-conscious, meaning outside of your awareness, they're related to motivation and energy, and they're related to how you respond to criticism and feedback. So the first is cognitive. So what it does, this imagery links the positive future, the desired future, to the obstacle of reality that you named so that you cannot dream away anymore because as soon as you start dreaming, whoops, the obstacle comes in. And the, there is a strong associative link outside of your awareness between the outcome and the obstacle. 
between the desired future and what is in your way. And then that's not where it stops. So there's also a strong associative link between the obstacle and the behavior to overcome obstacle. So meaning if you think about the future in terms of ah future, then the obstacle comes in and then the behavior to overcome obstacle comes in. And not only that, you also recognize things which usually are no obstacles as an obstacle. So for example, say a student wants to do well on an exam the next day and he gets a call, okay, let's go out to the movies. Mm -hmm. Then suddenly the movies is no fun movie anymore. It's now an obstacle in the way of doing well on the exam. And that all runs non-consciously. So people recognize what is in their way as an obstacle, as the category obstacle. And then they can link it to the behavior to overcome obstacle. And this is super neat because it, it runs off and you don't realize it. So you're basically programming yourself to do what you want to do going towards your desired future. And then it gives you energy because by understanding what the obstacle is, you automatically increase the effort. And again, you can measure that by systolic blood pressure or by just self-report. And then there's another neat thing. If you get a setback or if somebody comes and gives you negative feedback or criticizes you, you have, an, you have two advantages, actually. One is you take the criticism and you, you screen it for what is helpful for me in order to improve my goal pursuit, my wish fulfillment. You take it, you build it into your plans and your behavior. And at the same time, you don't take it personally. So it doesn't decrease your subjective sense of competence. You keep that up because you're so busy in integrating that valuable feedback into your plans to reach your desired future that you don't even have, have the time to think about yourself. And all that, again, is non-conscious. So you just take the feedback, um, but it doesn't reach your self-concept. And that's super neat because that helps you to more or less act automatically in the right way, right meaning what you wish to um, achieve in the future. So you, you're, you're acting instrumental in an automatic way to fulfill your wish and then later experience your outcome. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. Are you trying to increase your treatment plan close rates while also increasing revenue? How can you do both for your dental practice without burning out an already burdened staff? The answer? Remote dental monitoring. You need a trusted HIPAA-compliant app that helps you and your staff work smarter, not harder. This needs to be an easy-to-use, easy-onboard app that your patients will find fun to use and will increase their engagement and success with aligners. You need the InHand Dental app. The InHand Dental app allows you to engage with your patients in real time. 
send individual and batched messages, and solve problems to increase compliance without using up chair time. The result? Happy patients, happy staff, and happy practices. With more revenue and the ability to do more starts. With prices starting as low as $149 a month, it's perfect for a growing aligner business. Check us out and learn more at InHandDental.com. Plus, mention Burleson for a 20% off discount on your subscription when you contact us. That's InHandDental.com. And now, back to the program. It's, it's really, it is really neat. And um, as I understand, in the, in the 90s, when you were doing this research, you weren't really focused yet on the practical application or, or WHOOP, which is a great acronym, easy to remember, and has helped me in my own life and business. How did that all come about? How did you transition to practically applying this mental contrasting? Right. Um, so when we kind of discovered what the mechanisms were, um, then certainly the, the, the next question comes and says, you know, okay, can you apply it? I mean, if it really changes behavior, um, then mental contrasting um, should be tested in the field, meaning in you know, schools, in uh, hospitals, in um, professional settings, in the homes, um, wherever, um, and see whether people take it and whether people um, actually um, benefit also, um, if you want, in the wild, yeah. um, where it's not a controlled um, laboratory uh, context. So we did um, interventions. And we did interventions in two ways. Uh, we did interventions where we just gave mental contrasting to people um, with respect to a certain wish uh, we asked them for in a certain area, for example, um, more activity, um, more sport, um, better eating, um, you know, solving a specific interpersonal problem. Um, and then we've, we find that people actually were more successful in reaching their wishes, in fulfilling their wishes. But we also did intervention studies where we explained people the principle of mental contrasting. We said, you know, this is a little tool, and um, we explained it to them how to do it, and we practiced it with them, um, you know, for an hour or two. And then we let them go and say, okay, just take the tool in your daily life and use it. And, um, and we also got um, very kind of, you know, res results that people fared well in their daily life um, with this tool. And for example, in the, in the health context, um, we found that um, people in uh, personnel in, 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 in hospitals, um, that they um, felt that they were more in charge and um, had an easier time to decide and um, that they could finish their projects um, and also let go from other projects so that they were just more um, in control of their time, for example, better time management, um, and, and had, a, had a just a more, a more productive work life. Um, and in many other areas, we found that too. And only then, after we did these intervention studies, um, where we tried out whether mental contrasting is 
helpful um, in daily life. Then um, we started to do a website. We started um, to work on an app. Um, and then um, the book came. And, um, and then, you know, things developed like that. But um, we, we, I mean, I'm still a researcher and um, also have not only that project, but other projects too. But it, it's really um, nice to see that um, people take on the book and take on the website and um, write back, you know, that they benefited from it. And uh, it's just, um, you know, it gives you a little bit of meaning um, in your life um, that um, this tool can actually help in daily life. And I must say, um, you know, it helped me. Um, I would have never written the book without Whoop. And now what is Whoop? We talked about mental contrasting, but um, I need to um, talk a little bit about Whoop um, maybe as well, because Whoop stands for wish, outcome, obstacle, and you recognize probably that's mental contrasting. Um, and then we combined it with a plan. And that's the concept of implementation intentions. And um, that was discovered by Peter Golitzer, um, who is um, at MRU. And um, so we put these two tools together because we reasoned that if the obstacle is really tough to overcome, such as when, um, you know, it's a very strong impulse or when it is a very strong emotion or when it's a super ingrained habit, then maybe it would help if we strengthen the obstacle behavior link even more than it is done by mental contrasting at all. And this implementation intention comes in the form of, in the context of wood, if obstacle, then I will overcome obstacle. Meaning, if obstacle, and you imagine the obstacle, then I will, and then you put in the behavior that you deem fitting for overcoming the obstacle. So that explicitly, meaning consciously, strengthens that link between the obstacle and the behavior to overcome obstacle even more. And um, implementation intentions is a tool which also works via non-conscious processes because once you do this if-then statement, so if obstacle, then I will overcome obstacle statement, then this link between the obstacle and the behavior is, um, is strengthened even more. And so that came then as whoop. So wish, you identify the wish that is very dear to your heart, something you can actually implement in your life, but it's a little challenging. And then the, you identify the outcome, what would be the best thing if I fulfilled myself that wish? How would I feel? And then you identify that feeling, happiness, leave, whatever it is. 
And then you imagine that feeling. So you really are glued to your desired future. That's the positive thinking part. And then you switch gears. And as you know, you now go to the obstacle in you. So what is it in me that holds me back? What is it in me that might stop me? It might be an emotion. It might be an irrational belief. It might be an ingrained habit. So what is it that stands in the way? And there you can actually dig a little deeper. What is it really? You don't need to tell anybody. You can leave it with you. And with a little bit of humor, you get to it. What is it really that stands in the way? It might be not so flattering sometimes. Maybe some resentment, maybe some irrational belief or some anxiety. Whatever it is, identify it, find it. And then imagine it. Imagine it occurring. So now that's the second door. And then the plan. You say, if, obstacle, you imagine the obstacle, then I will, and then you imagine the behavior to overcome obstacle. And you can go with a very concrete behavior. So, how you can overcome the obstacle. And if you find a wish that is feasible for you in principle, then you also find an obstacle. Because you're looking for an obstacle in you, and the obstacles in you you can change. Other people you can't change. You can't change, you know, the system, the, the, the company, the world, the politics, the pandemic, the husband or the wife, the, the, the children, the family. You can't change them. But you can change yourself. And that's your chance. And that you can do with hope by finding the obstacle in you. Then the plan. If obstacle, then I will behave to overcome obstacle. That's in the P. So this WHOOP exercise, WHOOP stand, is an acronym actually for the four steps um, of WHOOP. It's so it's so powerful, and I will include uh, the link to the WHOOP website in the show notes to this episode. And for listeners, on page one thirty four to one thirty seven of the book, Rethinking Positive Thinking with Dr. Ettingen, uh, you can go through that exercise. And I've done it, and it's helped me tremendously in interacting with employees and interacting with parents and patients, the if-then plan. Uh, so it's absolutely brilliant. Um, can you share maybe some common mistakes you see with, uh, with either students you've worked with or colleagues or clients when they form an if-then plan? Maybe some, some things we can try to avoid in that process? Yeah. I mean, um, I think... What is important is that you go through the whole four steps yep. because an if-then plan alone is empty um, because you don't have the direction to go and you don't have the obstacle. And and the obstacle is the crucial thing in book next to finding the, the wish because the obstacle tells you where is the possibility of change? So if you have a hard time to come up with the if-then plan, 
the best thing is start with the wish over. Yep. Um, and common mistakes are that the people, you know, don't take these five minutes, which you need for a whoop exercise in quiet and in calm and in slow. Because it's an imagery exercise, you need to have, you really don't need more than five or 10 minutes, but you need them. You can't do, yeah, email, um, conversations, anything else which needs cognitive effort, you, you, you just cannot do next to whoop because you really need to focus. It's a structured imagery exercise which needs your full attention. And you need to leave the world out because now it's time to whoop. So take these five or ten minutes just for whoop and then start slow because you have these five or ten minutes just for you now. And then start slow in asking yourself, what is it that I really want? And you can refer to your life. You can refer to the next year. You can refer to the next four weeks, to the next week, to the next day. You can refer to the next meeting, to the next patient you treat, to a phone call you need to do. For, you know, you can refer to tonight, to have a good evening tonight with your family. Whatever it is in terms of time frame, you take your wish to. Take a wish that is dear to your heart, that you really would like to see fulfilled. But take a wish that you can fulfill, but is, which is still challenging. And then identify that wish and take your time to identify that wish. And then go slowly through the four steps. And then for the outcome, the outcome is, is important because it will glue you to the desired future. That's one thing. And then also, when you imagine the best outcome, you might discover, oh, yeah. This is bingo. This is really what I want. But you also might discover, hmm, okay, feels nice, but it's, hmm, it's okay. And then go back to the wish and find a wish that really you feel strong about. So with the outcome, think about it. How dear to your heart that feeling really is. And if it's not, go back to the wish. And then for the obstacle, you can actually dig a little deeper. You might say, ah, oh, you know, I don't have time. <laughs> but you can ask yourself, why don't I have time? Oh, and then you discover a lot of interesting things. Maybe because you diddle around, maybe because... Um, you procrastinate, maybe there's some anxiety in the back, maybe there is some, um, you know, loss or fear of loss of love or whatever. Whatever it is, just go back into your, your obstacle and, and really search for it. 
and, and ask yourself, what is it really that is standing in my way, if I'm really honest to myself? And then identify that, that obstacle and search for it. But don't think you need to have the right obstacle. If you feel, yeah, that could it really be, then go with it. Because you can do as many whoops as you have wishes. They don't cost you anything other than five minutes. So don't be too perfectionistic there. Just do your whoop and then play with it. Because whoop is like riding the bicycle. It's a skill. And the more you practice it, the better it is. And if you don't find the super duper bingo obstacle first, just try it out with the obstacle you found. And then, yeah, imagine that obstacle and find and ask yourself, okay, what can I do to overcome that obstacle and then make your if-then plan? So if you don't find the right if-then plan, the right which feels good to you, then just go back to the wish and start all over. And then the if-then plan is really the if obstacle, then I will behavior plan. Um, and here sometimes people make a mistake and say, you know, if I act, then I feel good. No, that's not a different plan. So if there is the obstacle, then I will overcome the obstacle. Or if there is a good opportunity to prevent the obstacle from occurring, then I will take that opportunity. That's another stand plan you can do in order to prevent the obstacle from even occurring. So you can either overcome the obstacle or you can prevent the obstacle from occurring. So, for example, if you want to eat no chocolate, you can say, okay, if I find the chocolate in the fridge, then I shut the fridge door. Or you could also say, um, ah, I prevent the chocolate from going into my fridge by saying, okay, if I'm shopping and there is the sweet stand, then I make a big detour. So, in, and, and you can see it's a little tricky, but... It's a skill. And the more you practice whoop and the more you practice daily whoops, the better you can do it. And the more they are kind of coming natural as a way of thinking, um, also in stressful times. And you can take any time frame. You can whoop, you know, any place really, um, you know, in the morning, in the evening, um, at night, in in the bus, at work, um, take a little break, um, you know, do it in the morning, every morning. I whoop every morning. It's super helpful to structure my day, to understand what I really want, to understand where my vulnerabilities are today. Super, super helpful. And, um, and, and take it as a routine in your daily life. And then you will, um, you, you can customize it to your life. And you have, you have a friend. Um, for life, um, because you can always sort of say, okay, what do I really want? Um, what would be the best thing if I got it? What is it that stands in my way, in me? So what's, what's, what's the impediment? And if impediment, if obstacle, then I will. Ah, 
then I will get going. So it engages you in life. It pulls you out of um, getting stuck. It helps you cope with stress. Um, it makes you much more aware. Um, and it's a discovery tour. So it's a discovery tour in terms of what do I really want? What is in my way? And then by changing your behavior, you will discover a lot of new things in life. So your relationships will change. Your professional engagement will change. And um, your fitness will change depending on where the wishes are. Um, so you will, you will have a, a constantly changed life. And, and do whoop like, um, like a baker. The baker always bakes new bread and doesn't warm up old bread. And that's whoop. Because these wishes come from our needs, and because our needs constantly change, we want to always do new whoops and not warm up old whoops because they belong to the past. We want to respond to the needs we have at the moment and to respond to those. And those are like, you know, fresh rolls. <laughs> um, we can do all these whoops as we go along in life to keep us in the middle, to not stray away from the, the, our, our kind of anchor. So if you, for example, have a need to clean up your apartment, we will help you to clean up the apartment. If you have a need to be less compulsive about cleaning, because you also want to sit down and not always run and serve the washing machine, then WHOOP will help you to sit down. It, it pulls you in the middle. It pulls you in the, the, the balance um, and, and takes you away from um, strolling too far off. I love that analogy of the, of the baker because I've found it to be a continuous learning process in my life as well. And um, I, I think I've often discovered the obstacle is internal for me. <laughs> and so yeah. um, we, I, as you know, speak and teach and write and do a lot of these types of business things. But occasionally I am still in the clinic and my days structured in the clinic are very busy. They're very hectic. And one of my whoops was to really work on being a better and more effective leader so that the outcome was our employees were more engaged and they didn't feel so intimidated by me being in the building as the founder and owner and the senior doctor. And that really resulted in me discovering an obstacle was that I was almost cynical when I would get distracted or disrupted from other things I was trying to do in between patient care. So I'm taking calls, I'm interviewing p prospective people to come speak on stage and doing all these things. And I found my if then plan really was about responding in love and not responding in this kind of cynical frustration of being constantly disrupted. And it's worked so well, but it took me, you know, several times to go back and say, what's the real obstacle here? Wasn't the schedule. It wasn't the employees. It wasn't 
anything other than me and my response <laughs> to those disruptions. So, so thank you. It's helped me many, many, I mean, hundreds of other areas personally as well. But I wanted to highlight that this isn't something you do once. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and I think your examples are so um, well put. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not the others. It's my response to the others, which I need to overcome. Yeah, it's it's worked it's worked really well. And so my my employees and team leaders uh, are grateful that you wrote this book and did, did the research. <laughs> I know we're getting close to the end of our time together. Thank you, Dr. Ettingen, for being here. We're going to include show notes and links uh, here with this episode. But I'm just curious if there's anything you'd like to share with listeners about what you're teaching and publishing now, or any final thoughts. Maybe a final thought. Um, we tried to put as many um, instructions and then as many helpful videos and audios and, um, you know, also the, the detailed instructions of how to do WHOOP on the WHOOPMYLIFE.org website. So if you want to um, forage a little bit on, on how to practice WHOOP and um, and and, and what the intricacies are and, and frequently asked questions and um, testimonials and, and um, what have you. Just go on the website and, um, and try it out. There is also the Whoop app, which is really helpful because it forces you to be very specific about your wish, outcome, obstacle, and plan um, so that you don't stray off in, um, in, 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 in too many uh, words because then the imagery can't do the job, and so um, if you if you want to dive a little deeper and go on the website, go on the app, and let us know how things are going. Um, you can always contact us um, by the website um, and um, and and play with it, um, and I have fun with it, and um, I hope um, it will lead you to a lot of discoveries. Thank you so much. I had so much fun today. It was an honor to have you on the program. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Burleson Box, where we bring you and your team leaders into the conversation with today's best authors and business leaders. If you've enjoyed this program, please share us with a friend or colleague. You can visit theburlesonbox.com and sign up to receive my monthly reading list, study guides for each of the books and authors we interview, or you can call us at 800-891-7520. And let's talk about how a Burleson Box membership, monthly coaching, or our annual leadership conference can work for you and your team. Please be sure to listen each month. We've got new resources to help you and your team serve your patients with excellence. Until next time, remember the words of Lemony Snicket, who said, Never trust anyone who has not brought a book with them. Go, make it a great month. I'll see you right here next time on The Burleson Box. When's the last time you evaluated your credit card processing statement? Our partners at Stacks are offering a free savings analysis for our listeners, where they will actually take your merchant statement with your current processor and show you where you're overpaying. Stacks has saved orthodontics practices over 40% per month on payment processing costs. So don't wait. Get your free savings analysis today and see how much you're overpaying for your credit card processing. Go to StacksPayments.com forward slash Burleson dash seminars to schedule your savings analysis today.
Plus as a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you sign up today, you can get your first two months of payments processing costs waived from Stacks. Once again, that's StacksPayments.com forward slash Burleson dash seminars. Stop overpaying. Start saving.